Praise God. Amen. What a blessing to be back here at New Beginnings Church. My wife and I are so excited. What a great church you all have. And to see God's hand on it, how it's grown so much since we've been here. And uh, it's amazing. But, you know, a long time ago, we fell in love with your pastors, Joe and Barbara. And uh, not just because of their personalities, but because of their stand and uncompromised on the Word of God, their dedication to teach faith, and uh, we just really appreciate them, and I am very honored to be in Pastor Joe's pulpit. So thank you so much for having us, and uh, thank you all for coming. Amen. That's right. You're all very blessed to have them as your pastors. There's very few teachers that teach it like he does, so you're blessed. On November 23rd, 1998, I had an experience that changed my life. It doesn't matter if you believe my experience. What matters is that you check out what the Bible has to say about hell and avoid it just the same. This was not a near-death experience. This was an out-of-body experience that's classified as a vision. In 2 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2, when Paul was caught up in heaven in a vision, he said whether in the body or out of the body, he didn't know. Well, the Lord showed me that I left my body. So in a vision, you can travel. Paul and John actually traveled to heaven in their spirit bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, 44 talks about a natural body and a spirit body. And in Ezekiel chapter 8, he was picked up by his hair, carried from Babylon to Jerusalem in a vision. He was told to eat. He experienced the sweetness of the food in his stomach. He wept. He conversed. So my point is, in your spirit body, you can experience the same things that you would in your physical body. And this is not to compare my experience with any of the great men of the Bible. I'm just trying to give you a scriptural basis of how this can occur for a Christian. The only way a Christian can see hell is in a dream or a vision. And uh, I've been a Christian for 53 years. So that's, and Job 7.14 says, You scare me with dreams and terrify me through visions. Isaiah 21.2, he was given a grievous vision. And in Job 4.14, Eliphaz was given a vision that caused his bones to shake. So you can have a grievous, terrifying, bone-shaking vision. Now, one thing that was unique about this vision that God gave me, God blocked it from my mind that I was a Christian when I was in hell. He hid that fact from me. You say, where's that in the Bible? Luke 24, 16, when Jesus appeared to the disciples on the road to, em to Emmaus, it says their eyes were holden that they should not know him. John MacArthur's commentary and Matthew Henry's commentary point out they were kept by God from recognizing him. God hid it from their minds. Well, God hid it from my mind that I was a Christian for a reason which I will get to and explain. And then one last thing. You might say, Bill, but I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. Why do I need to hear about hell? Three quick reasons. Number one, when you understand how severe hell is, you'll be much more appreciative of your own salvation from what he saved you from. There's a lot of Christians today that believe in a teaching called annihilationism. That's a teaching that says you simply cease to exist if you deny Jesus. And that's not true. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 46, these shall go in everlasting life and these shall go in everlasting punishment. Use the same word everlasting as the word ionios. So just as heaven is everlasting, so is hell everlasting. And you'll thank God he saved you from this horrible place. And number two, it causes us as Christians to walk more in the fear of the Lord. You know, a lot of Christians live compromised lifestyles today and play around with sin. Jesus said in Mark 9, 47, if your eye offends thee, and the word offend means cause you to sin, he said, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter in the life maimed than in the hell fire. And see, when you understand the fear of the Lord, you won't want to compromise and play around with sin. 
And what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is simply in Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 17. It's to read his word daily and to obey his word daily. See, it's to have enough respect for Almighty God that you will fear him and obey him. And, you know, most of us don't even know what the fear of the Lord really is. A lot of Christians don't. They might love God, but they don't understand the fear of the Lord because Proverbs 2 said that you have to value the word like a hidden treasure, like a buried treasure. Like if, if I gave you a map and it said there's $100 million buried here, you would follow those clues. You would dig very tenaciously to find that treasure, right? Well, that's how God wants us to be with his word, that we value it, we hunger for it, we go after it. Now, once you do that, it says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. So if you're not doing that, you don't really understand the fear of the Lord, that there's consequences for our actions. There's a law of sowing and reaping, and there's a law of sin and death, and all these things that you contemplate once you understand the fear of the Lord. And there's great promises for those that fear God. And anyway, but uh, it, it will cause you more when you understand the severity of hell. Man, you will not want to play around with sin. And number three, it will give us more as Christians a passion for the lost, a desire to want a witness. You know, we get used to coming to church, hear a message, and we go home. And a lot of us don't even open our mouth and share the gospel with people, even though we're all called to do that. And I'm not talking about you chase people down the street and beat them over the head with the Bible. I'm just talking about each day as you get up to have the heart of God and say, Lord, use me today. Put me in front of somebody today, Lord, that I can share your word with. And see, you won't just pray for, say, your family that's not saved, your friends, and pray, oh, Lord, save them. Uh, send people to them, Lord. And you pray this little weak prayer. No, you'll get on your knees. You'll cry out. You'll maybe even fast for your family to get saved. Because when now you understand how severe hell is, you'll think, I cannot let my family go there. Man, I gotta take more effort. I gotta pray more fervently. And that's what this, I'm hoping, will instill in you. My wife and I went to a prayer meeting. We attended every Sunday night. Nothing unusual about the night. Uh, I was a Christian for 28 years at that point. I never studied the topic of hell. I've never gone to dark movies. I've never drank, I've never taken drugs, and I've never had a vision before. Well, I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning just to get a glass of water. And as I was walking to our kitchen, right through our living room, something grabbed me and pulled me out of my body. I saw my body fall to the floor. And I began tumbling down this long tunnel. And it was getting hotter and hotter and darker and darker. And I passed through this open cavern area, and I landed on an actual stone floor in a prison cell in hell. Rough-hewn stone walls, bars but filthy, dirty, smoke-filled, but like a dungeon. Isaiah 24, 22 says, And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison. Proverbs 7, 27 mentions going down to hell to the chambers of death. The word chambers means inner rooms. Job 17, 16 says, They shall go down to the bars of the pit. Jonah 2.6, the earth with her bars was about me forever. And the Tyndale, the New International Commentaries point out that Jonah himself was at the gates of hell. That's where I first found myself, face down on the floor. And the first thing I noticed was the intense heat. It was so far beyond the ability to sustain life, I wondered how could it be alive in this blast furnace. My reaction was I wanted to get up and run. But I noticed I had no physical strength. I thought, what's wrong with my body? But Isaiah 14, 9 and 10 says, Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. They will say, Art thou become weak as we? 
And Psalms 88.4 says, I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that has no strength. Now, if you ever had the flu and you felt weak, it's a thousand times worse. Any movement takes tremendous effort in hell. But see, Acts 17.28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. So even movement comes from God. It's not automatic. Well, I looked up and I saw these two creatures in the cell. Reptilish in appearance, bumps and scales all over the one's body, huge jaw, sunken in eyes, claws about a foot long, and these particular two are about 12 or 13 feet tall. That's not an exaggeration. There's scripture for that, but I'll keep moving. And these were demons. They were pacing like a vicious, caged animal. They had the most ferocious demeanor about them, and they were blaspheming and cursing God. Now, we know blasphemy comes from the demonic realm. Revelation 13, 6, James 2, 7, some other verses. And then they directed the hatred they had for God, they directed it towards me. I wondered why, what I've done to them. But the one demon picked me up, tremendous strength demons have, uh, like I weighed the weight of a water glass, threw me into the wall, this prison cell. I hit the wall. I felt as if every bone in my body had broken. I collapsed on the floor. I wondered, how could I be alive through this? I should be dead. But I have to explain to you that I understood I was only feeling a small amount of the pain because I understood it was being blocked. See, on the way back, the Lord explained to me he blocked most of the pain, but he did allow me to feel some of it so I could relate to people that it's not metaphorical. It's not a state of the mind. It's real physical pain you're going to feel in hell. Well, the other demon grabbed me from behind, picked me up, uh, dug its claws into my chest, and just ripped the flesh open. This was actually happening. I, I could not believe I was survived. I should be dead. But I had noticed that I had a body. Matthew 10, 28 says, Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And Luke 16, the rich man Jesus talked about, he wanted a drop of water to cool his tongue. He was tormented in the flame. He had a mouth to speak. He had eyes to lift. He had a tongue. So you have a body in hell. But it withstands these torments. But something else I noticed, when he tore the flesh open, there was, it was all dry. There was no blood or water. And, but see, Leviticus 17, 11 says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Well, there's no life in hell, so there's no blood. And Zechariah 9, 11 says, thy prisoners out of the pit where there is no water. There's not one drop of water in hell. And these demons have no mercy over you whatsoever. They have an extreme hatred for you. But see, Psalms 103, 17 says, the mercy of the Lord is upon those that fear him. They don't fear him in hell. So you don't derive that benefit. About this time, it went dark. Now, I believed it was God's presence there to illuminate it so I could see to describe to people what it looks like. But then it resumed its normal state of absolute pitch black darkness. But Lamentations 3, 6 says, He has set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. Jude 13 mentions blackness of darkness forever. But it wasn't just dark. You could actually feel it. And that's not an exaggeration. Exodus 10.21 mentions a darkness that may be felt. Because it's so evil, it's so wicked, and so dark, it just seems to penetrate through every cell in your body. Now, I was taken out of this prison cell by the Lord, but I didn't know it was the Lord, and uh, placed over next to this large raging pit of fire. This pit was about a mile across, a huge hole in the ground with flames raging high up into this open cavern. And it was not metaphorical or allegorical flames like some people teach. I felt the heat. I saw the flames. But more importantly, it's what the scripture says. Psalms 11.6 says, Upon the wicked he will rain fire and brimstone and a horrible tempest. Psalms 140 verse 10, Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits. 
Matthew 13, 49, the angels to sever the wicked from the just and cast the wicked into a furnace of fire. Many verses I could give you on the fires of hell. But this is my point. This is where I could first see people. Inside this pit, there were thousands of people burning. And I could only see the outline of the people. They look like skeletons. You cannot distinguish a man from a woman. And it looked, appeared to me like there was flesh hanging off their bones. And they were screaming so loud, it was deafening. You want to escape the screams, but you can't. You have to endure that for all eternity. But see, Isaiah 57, 21 says, There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. There's no peace of mind, no peace of any kind. But see, Isaiah 32, 18 says, My people dwell in a quiet resting place. You're not his people, so you don't derive the benefit of quiet. Now, I descended to get there. I ascended when I left. But I understood I was down deep in the earth. But more importantly, there's 49 scriptures that point out where the current hell is. Uh, I'll just give you two. Ezekiel 26, 20, number 16, 32, and 33. It's very clear it's down deep in the earth. The current hell is called Hades, or Sheol is the Hebrew word. Uh, I also understood there were different levels of torment or degrees of punishment. I understood that. But remember, Jesus said in Matthew 23:14, you shall receive the greater damnation. That infers a lesser damnation. Or Matthew 10, 15, he said, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That infers a less tolerable. Or Hebrews 10, 28 says, of how much worse of a punishment suppose it shall be for you, you who have trodden underfoot the Son of God. There's a worse punishment. But my point is, there is no tolerable, comfortable level in hell. Any level is far worse than your mind can conceive. Now, I wanted to talk to my wife I just wanted to be able to say goodbye to her, but I knew I would never have that opportunity. See, Job 7, 9 says, he that goes down to Sheol shall come up no more. And you don't realize how tormenting of a thought that is, that you have no finality with your family. You can never see your family again. I'll never get to hug her, tell her I love her, hold her, walk with her, none of that. That's all a thing of the past. But see, to have no finality, you can't even say goodbye to them. And they don't know that you still exist. See, death does not mean cease to exist. Death means separation from God. You still exist. You're just down deep in the earth. I had a desire to want to talk to people, right? Because you're alone. You want to talk. There's pleasure in conversation or just being with people, even if you don't know them. But in hell, you're kept isolated and apart. You're all kept at a distance, and you're in pain burning anyway, but you have no conversation ever again for all eternity. You're completely isolated and by yourself, and you have no purpose, no destiny. It's just a complete useless wasting away. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, There is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in Sheol. And it doesn't matter if you're somebody famous here. No one would know who you are there. Your name's covered in darkness, Ecclesiastes 6.4. You're forgotten in hell, Psalms 88.12, Isaiah 26.14, Deuteronomy 32.26, Psalms 109.15. All explain it. You're completely forgotten. Nobody's given you a thought up on the earth. The stench in hell is the most foul, putrid, disgusting odors. You know, demons have a foul odor to them. Jesus rebuked the foul spirits, Mark 9, 25. Demons have a disgusting, decaying death smell on them. Also, the smell of burning flesh. And in addition to that, you're, you're breathing in uh, sulfur. And sulfur, if you go to Hawaii to the volcanoes, they have signs posted where you cannot go past a certain point because of toxic fumes coming up from the volcano. It's called sulfur dioxide. It's toxic. If you breathe it, it will kill you. 
Well, sulfur is just another word for brimstone. And the word brimstone is mentioned 14 times in the Bible. So you're breathing in this foul, putrid, disgusting air that you don't want to breathe. But it's even worse than that because there's not enough air to breathe. So maybe only an asthma patient can relate to this. But this is how you breathe in hell. It was like... That was as much air as you could get. At any moment, you feel like you're going to suffocate. You have the ongoing feeling of suffocation. But see, Isaiah 42.5 says, The Lord gives breath to the people upon the earth. You're not upon the earth. You're down deep beneath the earth. God is very specific with his word. Now, you need to sleep in hell. I was only there 23 minutes, but I felt like I was there 23 weeks without going to sleep. And if you ever stayed up for two nights like studying or whatever for a test and you know try try two nights you're you can't even function after two days you're a wreck well in hell you need to sleep also but you never get to go to sleep so every day it gets progressively worse but see revelation 14 10 and 11 says and they shall be tormented with fire and brimstone and a horrible tempest and uh, the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever and they have no rest day nor night now no rest from the torment but no rest of any kind because Isaiah 57, 20 said, the wicked are like the troubled sea that cannot rest. You know, the sea is always moving. Can't rest, right? But rest is a blessing from God. Psalms 127, 2 said, the Lord gives his beloved sleep. You're not his beloved, so you don't derive the benefit of sleep. You're hungry. You never get to eat. Uh, I was standing next to this um, big pit and where I described to you, and along the cavern walls, there were demons of all different sizes and shapes all lined along the walls. Some were only two and three feet tall, some were 12 and 13 feet tall, but all the demons were twisted, deformed, and grotesque, hideous-looking creatures. They all had an extreme hatred for me. I could feel this hatred, them trying to get to me, but most of them seemed to be chained to the walls or attached to the walls in some form. And I noticed there were snakes crawling all over everything and I was standing on a solid bed of maggots. And maggots were crawling all over everything and everybody. And you know, Isaiah 14, 11 says, where the maggot will be spread under thee and the worm will cover thee. Look it up in the original, it's the word maggot. And you know, I never knew this, but if a dead animal is being eaten by maggots, after they consume the flesh, maggots die. I never knew that, but they die after they consume the flesh. That's why Jesus said, where their worm dies not, he used the word maggot, because the flesh is never fully consumed in hell. So as Job 24.20 says, the maggot will feed sweetly on thee. Is that disgusting enough? Like I said, you're hungry, you never get to eat, you're thirsty. Now, if I was to give you a drop of water, remember Luke 16, Jesus talked about the rich man that wanted one drop of water. If I was to give you a drop, just one drop, that wouldn't suffice, would it? You wouldn't value one drop. But in hell you would. You would do anything to get that one drop, but you'll never get it. Just think about that rich man Jesus talked about 2,000 years ago. He's still yearning for that one drop of water. The fear that you have to experience in hell is so far beyond anything any of us have gone through. I'm gonna share with you an experience I had so I can get this across to you because we're here comfortable and so forth. Maybe you can relate for a minute something you've been through that was fearful. Maybe you were held up at gunpoint. Maybe you're in a car accident. Remember the moment before the impact, the fear that jumped up in your throat? Well, let me explain to you a little bit about that fear. When I was 17, I used to surf a lot. We were surfing off Cocoa Beach, Florida. It, uh, it was a big day that day. It breaks out about a quarter mile out when it's big. 
and about 100 guys out in the water. The guy next to me, right next to me, suddenly got his leg ripped off. A big shark ripped his leg off. Blood all over the water. Now sharks came. There were sharks all around us. So all us guys got up on our knees to get, get our legs out of the water. I was on a nine-foot board. A shark passed by my board, turned his head as he went by. Their teeth are huge, and they are the most ferocious-looking things that, that close. And it was a tiger shark. I saw the stripes. And if you know anything about tiger sharks, they're vicious. They eat anything. And uh, the shark came back, bit my board in half. Now I'm swimming in the water. Sharks are banging into our legs. My buddy, you know, we, we, we're a quarter mile off the beach. And um, suddenly this, one of these big sharks came back and grabbed my leg and yanked me down under the water. I mean, in a second, I was gone down under the water. Now you can imagine the fear that I felt at that moment. Even if you haven't been through it, like in your mind, you can at least conceive that's pretty fearful. That fear that I experienced then paled in comparison to what you feel in hell. It wouldn't even register in hell. But see, Psalm 73, 18 and 19 says, you cast them down into destruction where they are utterly consumed with terror. You're consumed with this terror, and it doesn't last for just a few seconds. This is for all eternity. But a miracle happened that day, and the shark not only opened his mouth and let me go, I expected my leg to be shredded. I didn't have a mark in my leg. God was looking out for me then. And I was not even a Christian then. But I got saved immediately after that. So <laughs> I did. I've been serving God ever since. And God's been so good to me. Blessed my life and given me a wonderful, beautiful wife. And so I'm very blessed. Thank you, Lord. We serve a good God. Amen. That's right. Now, I want to take a minute and give you some scripture about being tormented in hell. I know I've been giving you scripture, but this is what's important for you to believe. It doesn't matter if you believe me. I'm just a signpost to point you to the scriptures, okay? So some people think, Bill, you're exaggerating hell, demons, tormenting, and all that. Well, let me give you some scripture, okay? Can you bear with me for about a minute and a half? All right. Matthew 18, 34 mentions being delivered to the tormentors. Luke 12, 47 says you'll be beaten with many stripes or beaten with you. Who's doing the beating? Psalms 50, verse 22, you that forget God, you'll be torn in pieces. Matthew 24, 51, I will cut him in pieces and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Psalms 116:3. the pains of Sheol have gotten hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Amos 5, 18 and 19, for what good is a day of the Lord to you, judgment day? It'll be darkness. And as a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Job 33:22, his soul draws near to the pit and his life to the destroyers. Psalms 141.7, their bones are scattered at Sheol's mouth. Psalms 49.14, their beauty shall consume away in Sheol from their dwelling. Psalms 32.10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Psalms 78.49, I will cast my wrath upon them by sending evil angels among them. Deuteronomy 32.22, for a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn unto the lowest hell. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with poison of serpents of the dust. Matthew 22:13. Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. John 15:6. If a man abide not in me, just as men gather branches that are withered, they are thrown into the fire and are burned. 
Luke 12, 4 and 5. Don't fear him who is able to kill the body, but no more he can do. Rather, fear him who is after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 23, 33. Jesus said, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? In other words, you can't escape it. And one more verse, Psalm 74, 20 says, For the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. Full of the habitations of cruelty. The word cruelty, uh, look at, it's a Hebrew word. Look it up in the Strong's Concordance, number 2555. It's the word Hamas. We've all heard that word before, right? The terrorist group Hamas. The word Hamas means ruthlessness, violence, cruel hatred, and destruction. So for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of ruthlessness, violence, cruel hatred, and destruction. Well, that's what you're experiencing in hell. Now you say, Bill, why would God make such a horrible place? Well, Jesus said why. Matthew 25, 41, he said hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. He never intended for man to go to this place, but he used the word prepared. That's the same word he used in John 14, 2, where he goes to prepare a place for us in heaven or make ready. So he was preparing heaven for us hell for the devil. So what he did in the preparation was, you see, James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. So all the good we enjoy, the fellowship, the drinking, eating, sleeping, uh, and so forth, rest and all that, all that comes from God. You can't have the good without God. So what he did was he withdrew his goodness or his attributes from hell. See, hell is dark because 1 John 1.5 said God is light. There's only death in hell because John 1.4 said God is life. There's only hatred in hell because 1 John 4, 16 said God is love. There's no mercy in hell because Psalms 36, 5 says the mercy of the Lord's in the heavens. There's no strength in hell because Psalms 18, 32 said it's the Lord that gives us strength. There's no water in hell because Deuteronomy 11, 11 says water is the rain of heaven. And there's no peace in hell because Isaiah 9, 6 says he is the prince of peace. So see, if God removes himself from the situation, all the good goes with him. You can't have the good without God can't separate the two so if your person in life it says you know what I don't want anything to do with God well fine there's a place prepared that has nothing to do with him other than one thing the fire in hell does represent God's wrath all through the scripture it says he will pour out his wrath on sin in the form of fire but God poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross so we wouldn't have to take that wrath so you can either let Jesus take it or you can take it your choice you know, when people look at the mountains, the trees, the ocean, they say, oh, isn't Mother Nature wonderful? No, that's not Mother Nature. That's Father God that provided all that goodness that we enjoy. Amen? Amen. Psalm 33, 5 says, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. We get to enjoy His goodness here while we're in life. But if we reject Him, we won't get to enjoy His goodness. Amen. As I was looking at all this horror, demons shoving people back in the pit, burning maggots, disgust, stench, I began being lifted up this tunnel. Something was lifting me up this tunnel. I was ascending up. And in this pitch black darkness, suddenly this bright light appeared. Now, I didn't see his face. I just saw the outline of a man standing in a bright, pure, holy light. It was like no light I had ever seen. And I knew immediately who it was. I just said, Jesus. And he said two words. He said, I am. And when he said I am, I went out. I don't know if I died, passed out, I don't know. 
I can only explain it through Revelation 1.16. When John saw him, it says, he said, his countenance was bright as the sun, and I fell at his feet as one dead. And that's what happened. I was at his feet. And he touched me, and after a time, I came too. And it hit me so strongly. Even though I'd been a Christian for 28 years at that point, I thought if he wouldn't have gone to the cross, I would be in that place for all eternity. I'd be lost forever. And I thought, the king of the universe gave his life for me, suffered horribly on a cross to keep me out of hell. I was so grateful for Jesus. I just want to thank him. You don't want to ask him any questions. You just want to thank him and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for going to the cross for me. Thank you for taking me to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. That's all you want to do. But after a time, thoughts started coming to my mind. I had eight different thoughts. And he answered all my thoughts. Psalms 139.2 says he answers our thoughts afar off. And I'll just share with you a few of them for time's sake. I thought, Lord, why did those demons hate me so much? He said, because you're made in my image and they hate me. See, John 15.18, Jesus said they hated me before they hated you. See, demons hate God, but they can't hurt him. But they can hurt his creation, us. That's why Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But he said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So the wickedness, the evil, the sickness, disease, poverty, all that, the destruction on the earth, all that comes from the demonic realm. It's not from God. He came to give us life more abundantly. We serve a good God. I thought, Lord, I don't want to tell anybody about this experience. They're going to think I'm crazy or had a bad dream. He said, it's not your job to convict their hearts. It's the Holy Spirit's. He said, you just go and tell them. I said, yes, sir, I will go. <laughs> you won't obey whatever he says. But I have to admit, though, when I came back from this experience, I wanted to witness to everybody so they don't have to go there. But I didn't want to tell them about my experience. You know, I'm a conservative person, and I didn't want to share, you know, what are people going to think? You've been to hell? Right, you know? And so I, didn't, I complained. Now, I told my best friend, because I knew he would know I wasn't crazy, and he said, Bill, would you come to my Bible study and share it? And I said, no way. I don't want to. And he talked me into it after three months. I went reluctantly, thinking I'll do this once. Well, that didn't work out so good. But uh, there was a lot of pastors there, and they invited me to come to their churches. So I went reluctantly, but I knew the Lord was telling me to go. So for the next seven years, my wife and I would take her two days off a week and her vacation time. I had my own real estate company, so I could go when I wanted. And we would travel. We were invited all over the country. And so we traveled for seven years. We paid our own way. We never took one penny from anybody for those seven years. And at the end of the seven years, the publisher came to me and said, would you write a book on your experience? And uh, uh, so it was not something I was looking to self-promote. But I was happy to write the book because I could place in there all the scriptures. There's over 150 verses of everything I saw is already in the Bible. So I was happy to write the book. But I complained to the Lord. I said, Lord, I feel uncomfortable sharing this. I'm too conservative about that. I just don't feel comfortable. And one day I heard his voice. He said to me, Bill, it's not about you being comfortable. It's about you being obedient. Man, I felt guilty. I repented. I said, I'm sorry, Lord. You know, and if even one person can come to the light of the scripture and avoid this horrible place, it's worth any uncomfortableness I would ever feel, right? But you know what? God's given us all something to do, and sometimes he pulled us out of our comfort zone. But you have a talent I don't have. And I just encourage you, whatever God's given you to do, do it with all your heart. We don't have a lot of time. 
I thought, Lord, why didn't I know you? Remember I explained to you that he blocked it from my mind that I was a Christian? See, if I was there as a Christian, which I was, but I didn't know, I would have known, praise God, he's getting me out of here. Right? As Christians, we know our destiny is heaven. I would have known that. He wanted me to experience what they feel, hopelessness. See, Isaiah 38, 18 says, those who go down to the pit cannot hope for thy truth. And we know Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They have no hope for Jesus because it's too late. And none of us in life know what it's like to be hopeless. Because even if you're in dire pain, you can always die to get out of the pain. But in hell, you understand you'll never escape the pain. You'll never get out. See, in here, we think of time as a timeline, like a beginning and an end. But in hell, I understood there is no end. A hundred million years will go by. It's still day one. There's no angels to come rescue you. There's nobody to talk to, no one to pray to. You're by yourself forever and ever in torment. Now, can you see why this decision is so important for people? And they f shrug it off. Well, I can think about it later. Or who knows if these Christians are right. I'll take a chance. I'll party with my friends there. All these lies the devil speaks into people because he's after their soul. He knows your soul is the most valuable thing you have. And God loves you, so he's given a free will to each of us to choose. There were other things I thought, but I'm just going to share with this part. We went above the earth, and we came out of the earth out of, uh, up this tunnel, and then we were in a whirlwind tunnel above the earth. There's scripture for this too, but uh, again, I'll keep moving. And he had me look back down at this tunnel we just came out of. And people that were dying on the earth were falling down this tunnel. It was like a portal into hell. And one after another, after another, after another, were falling down into hell. And the Lord allowed me to feel just a piece of his heart the anguish he feels for a soul falling into hell. I could not even bear even a piece, a fraction of God's heart. See, Ephesians 3.19 says, his love passes knowledge. You know, we love our families, right? Your kids, you'd give your life for your children. Well, God's love is far exceeds our love. Far exceeds ours. And he wept when he saw people going into hell. And that's why he's told us as Christians, he's equipped us with the gospel and give us the privilege of sharing the word of God. And if all of us would do that, less people would have to go there. And I, I, I was so grateful that he showed me a piece of his heart. And I'm just going to share with you one more thing that he opened up to me there. He gave me Psalms 139, 17, and 18, where David said, your thoughts toward me are all precious. And I suppose if I should count them, they are more than the sands. Another verse says more than the sands on the whole earth in Psalms. So in other words, if I picked up a handful of sand, there'd be thousands of granules, right? If each one represented a thought, and I took one granule and I said, I love how my wife prays for me all the time. I love how beautiful she is. I love how she honors her parents. I love how she prays for others. And you come back three or four hours from now and I'm trying to exhaust the amount in my hand. You would say, Bill has really gone over his wife, man. He's crazy about her, right? That's just to exhaust the amount in my hand. And God said his thoughts towards us are all precious more than the sands on the whole earth. Now, how many granules are on the whole earth? You can't even fathom how many. And every one is a precious thought towards each one of us. And that's not an exaggeration because God can't exaggerate. So can, now can you grasp a little bit more of how much he loves each one of us and doesn't want us to go to hell? That was astounding to me. One last thing he shared with me. I saw a puff of smoke go up, 
And I said, Lord, what's that? He said, that's your life. I said, that's it? It was over like a tea kettle puff of smoke. But James 4.14 says life is but a vapor. Now, even though we have 100 years or so, whatever you live, that seems long to us, but compared to eternity, it's a puff of smoke. I said, Lord, we don't have much time. He said, yes, but what you do for me during that short time, I will count for all eternity. Wow. That gave me a better overall eternal perspective. What's really important in life? You know, we waste time on a lot of things. We need to be thinking, we've got to please God, and I want to do all I can while I'm here to do what's pleasing to God. Get involved in the church, help, witness, pass out tracts, do whatever you can to further the kingdom of God because you're going to be rewarded for it in heaven. And the reward lasts for all eternity. Now, people might think, you know, Bill, how can this loving God send a good person to hell? Well, God doesn't send anybody to hell. I'll get to that in a minute. But if you're going to go by the standard of good, then you have to go by God's standard. See, and God's standard is different than ours. James 2.10 says if we offend his law in one point, we're guilty of all. If we lie once, Revelation 21.8 says all liars shall have the part in the lake of fire. If we steal one thing, 1 Corinthians 6.9 says no thief will inherit heaven. If we have one lustful thought, Jesus said that's the same as committing adultery, and no adulterer will inherit heaven. Well, that's just three of the Ten Commandments. So if we're going to be judged by that standard of good, would we be guilty or innocent? Guilty. We'd all be guilty. There's even a scripture in Proverbs 24.9 that says even the thought of foolishness is a sin. If we have one foolish thought our entire life, that would exclude us from heaven. Man, that's a high standard. So none of us can stand before a holy God and say, hey, I'm pretty good, let me in. He's going to say, no, not according to my standard, you're not. Matter of fact, Job 15, 16 says, man is so filthy, he drinks iniquity like water. We're like filthy rags in God's sight, even the best of us. Thank God it's not based on being good but on a relationship with Jesus Christ because not one of us would make it to heaven. But you might not be convinced yet. Some people really struggle with this and they think, man, my neighbor, they're good people. They raise their kids. They're good family. They just don't believe in Jesus, but they're good people. So they struggle with this good. So uh, an analogy might help you. I was on a secular radio talk show and they said, Bill, watch your back with this guy. He does not like Christians. And I said, okay. So I went on the air and he says, okay, Christian, don't you quote me one Bible verse on my airwaves. You got that? I don't want to hear none of that Bible on my airwaves. I said, okay. He said, I submit to you that you Christians are unreasonable because you don't consider my viewpoint. My viewpoint is just as valid as yours and I'm a good person and I should be let into heaven. And if your God doesn't let me in heaven, then he's actually guilty of a hate crime. <laughs> so what do you got to say for yourself, Christian? What do you say? What do you say? You're live on the air. I can't give scripture. I said, well, God gave me an analogy right that moment. Thank God. I said, okay, you think you're a good person. You should be let into heaven. He goes, that's right. I said, okay, say you went and found the most expensive home in the country, knocked on their door, and you said, uh, excuse me, but I'm moving in with you because I'm a good person. What do you think the people would say? No, right? You have no relationship with them. You wouldn't expect them to let you move into their house. I said, but you, you go through your whole life. You have nothing to do with God. You deny Jesus is the son of God, which he said is the only way to his house. Then at the end of your life, you have the nerve to come knock on his door, demand to live there because you're a good person. What does good have to do with it? You don't know him. You have no relationship with him. I said, see, God offered to be your father throughout your whole life. You pushed him away. You said, no, I don't want you as my father. I'm not interested. 
See, God is your creator. He's not your father to invite in Jesus as your savior. Then he becomes your father. Galatians 3.26, John 1.12, John 8.44, Romans 9.7 and 8, John 17.9, Ephesians 5.1, all explain that he's your creator. He's not your father to you invite him in. I said, so that's unreasonable for you to expect to live at someone's house that you don't even know. He says, whoa, you can fight back. <laughs> he was a tough guy. Actually, he was from New Jersey. So. <laughs> you know, New Jersey and New York have a rep, you know. Tough, don't pull any punches, give me the bottom line, which I like. I like that. But he was like that. So, um, and he says, well, you Christians are narrow-minded. Uh, you think you're the only ones that's right. I think all roads lead to heaven. That's what I think. I said, well, let me give you another analogy, which God gave me. Thank God. And I said, so narrow-minded and uh, all roads lead to heaven. Okay. I said, say you invited me over to dinner to your home. And you said, Bill, I want you to go south on Highway 95, turn right at Main Street, go up the hill, you'll come to my house. But that's the only way to get to my house. And I say to you, you know what? I'm going to go north on 95. I'm going to get off at Beach Boulevard. Because I think all roads lead to your house. That's what I think. Well, you're going to tell me, Bill, you're not going to get to my house. I'm trying to give you clear directions to my house. The same way God gives us clear directions to his house. I think God knows where he lives. All we have to do is follow his clear directions and we will get there. That's not narrow-minded. That's specific. He's given us specific clear directions on how to get to his house. You know, think, people think God's up there arbitrarily saying, well, this one goes to heaven. This one goes to hell. It's not that way. All of us above the age of accountability are automatically on the road to hell because we're born in sin. Even children are born in sin, but they're above, they're below the age of accountability. The rest of us above the age, we're all automatically on the road to hell. So that's different than being sent there. We're already going there. That's why Jesus came was to plant a cross right in the middle of that road that we're all on. So all we have to do is repent, look up to the cross, trust in what Jesus did. He'll take us off that road and take us to heaven. That's simple. And he says one last thing. He said, Bill, you know, can't God overlook my sins? I mean, you know, I don't kill anybody. That's the other misconception. If you don't kill anybody, you're good enough for heaven. And I said, no, he cannot overlook our sins for two reasons. Number one, God is a just judge. And a good judge in our land would not be considered good if he let the criminal go free, right? The crime has to be punished. Well, our sin has to be punished. But Jesus took that punishment for us. But if you don't believe in him and receive him, then you have to take the punishment. But the second reason he cannot overlook our sins is because Hebrews 12.29 and Nahum 1.5 said God is a consuming fire. His nature is different than our sinful fallen nature. See, it's like this. If I stuck my hand into the fire to retrieve something and the fire burned my hand, I wouldn't say, why'd that fire burn me? That was mean of that fire. I wouldn't say that, would I? No, because my hand and fire are not compatible. The nature of the fire is to burn. Well, God's Holy nature is not compatible with sinful man. He has to give us a new nature that's compatible with his. How does that happen? Only one way. If someone came and lived the perfect life and never sinned once, not even one foolish thought, and that's Jesus Christ. And he stands before the Father and says, I've never sinned. I will exchange my righteousness with you, Father, for their sin. I'll take their sin. I'll pay for it. And I'll wash it away with my blood. If they would trust in me what I'm doing on the cross, not their own works. Titus 3.5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So if we would trust in what Jesus did on the cross and repent of our sins, then he considers our trust as if we were righteous. 
and he takes our sin, washes it away. Now God gives us a new nature, a new heart, and a new spirit that's compatible with his. Now we can stand before holy God because we have that new nature. Isn't that a marvelous plan that God came up with? You know, people say, I don't like this one-way business you Christians have. You ought to be grateful there is a way. He made a way where there was none. Was none. This is the clear direction to heaven. John 3.36 says, He that believes in the Son has everlasting life. But he that believes not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. How do you know the Son? Just two verses. Luke 13.3, Jesus said, Unless a man repent, you shall all likewise perish. What does repent mean? That means to agree to turn away from a sinful lifestyle and turn and follow Jesus. It's not enough to mentally assent to the fact and say, yeah, I can believe Jesus is God. I believe that. And go live your own life. That's not repentance. It takes a humble heart to admit, man, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. And I don't want to sin anymore. I want to turn away from sin, and I want to follow Jesus. Now, on your own, you can't resist sin. But when you get born again, God gives you a new nature, and he gives us the grace or the ability to say no to sin. But right now, you just have to be willing to say, I don't want to sin anymore. Help me, Lord. I want to follow you. And number two, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. You have to believe it in your own heart and confess him with your own mouth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You want to live at his house? You do it his way. There's only one way. Now, if you say, Bill, I just don't believe that. I don't believe he's the only way. Well, I have a verse for you. Revelation 21.8 says, All unbelievers shall have their part in the lake of fire. Now, there's a warning. That's a loving message. He's warning you, if you don't believe Jesus is the only way, you'll end up in the lake of fire. That's why you can see why Jesus said in Matthew 12.37, Your own words will condemn you. Because you said, I don't believe Jesus is the only way. I don't believe the Bible. Your own words send you to hell. Why would anybody do that? Why would you take a chance with the most precious thing you have? Is your soul. You know, we were at a church service, and there was a young man that came, 23 years old. He was the pastor's nephew's best friend. And the nephew said, this is my best friend, Bill. I want you to meet him. He came, and the guy said, I don't believe a word you said, Bill. I don't believe the Bible. I think it's all nonsense. And his best friend said, look, you're my buddy. I want you to go to heaven with me. He goes, not for me. I'm not interested. I think it's foolishness. Well, they went to breakfast the next morning. And he said, look, you're my best buddy. I don't want you to go to hell. Why won't you listen? He goes, I am not interested. Don't even talk to me about the Bible. And this is a true story. He got up from the table, from the breakfast table, and got in his car. Five minutes later, his car hit a brick wall and he died. Now, if he didn't change in that last five minutes... His best friend now was thinking, my friend's in hell forever. And he had the opportunity right there, just like the other thief on the cross. The one repented, the other one didn't. And now he has an eternity in hell to think about. I hung next to the Savior. I could have been saved. God gives us all an opportunity, and you're here now. You have an opportunity to receive him. You know, when the Titanic set sail, there were all different religions on that ship, all different walks of life, all different beliefs, and there were three classes of people, the lower, the middle, and the upper class. 
But after the ship went down at the White Star Line office in Liverpool, England, they had two signs posted. And the people would wait anxiously each day as a man would come out to write their relative's name down on one of the signs. One sign said, known to be saved. The other one said, known to be lost. Now, when the ship left, there were all different beliefs, all different religions, all different walks of life, and three classes of people. But in the end, there's only two. You're either saved or you're lost. And Revelation 20:15 says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God actually has a book and he's gonna look to see if our names are in his book. And it's your choice. If it's not in there, it's because you pushed him away. And he would have to say to you, depart from me into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Because he loves us, he has to give us a free will to choose. You have the choice. Please don't make the wrong decision. I'm just going to ask you one question. Do you know if your name is written in his book? Are you certain? You can't be wrong on this one. You've got to get this one right. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if there's anybody here that would say, Bill, I don't know if my name's in his book. I'm not certain. Or you might say, I don't know if I've ever really repented and turned to God, but I want to get my life right with Him today. Or maybe you're even backslidden and you know better and you want to get your life right. And you do not have to clean yourself up. You just come as you are. God will clean you up. But if you want that assurance that your name is in His book, I'm going to ask you at the count of three to raise your hand. And please don't leave here and think, I can think about this later because your heart actually grows harder and it's more difficult to reach you and you don't know that you'll have tomorrow. That 23-year-old didn't expect to die that day. One, two, three. Slip up your hands. Anybody here that would want their name in the book and they're not certain, raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. This is really important to do this. You want to make sure God sees your hand. I see your hands. I see your hand. I see your hand. Raise your hand. All right, if everybody would stand to their feet, I'm going to invite each person that raised their hand, I'm going to invite you to get out of your seat and come down to the front. I know it takes guts to get out of your seat. Most of us have done this. And give us a privilege of praying for you. Just make your way down to the front. This is really important. You'll never forget this time. You know, in this, when you get out of your seat, you're showing God, hey, I'm not doing this half-heartedly. I'm making a commitment. Praise God. Most of us have done this. So again, it's not anything to be embarrassed about. God loves every person, and it says all of heaven celebrates over just one. That's how important you are to God. If there was anybody else, I don't want anybody in this room to go to hell. Is there anybody else? If you're not certain, God doesn't want to drag you up here, but He's speaking to people's hearts. And now is the time.
We're going to wait 15 more seconds. If anybody else, make your way down. We're going to say a prayer. This prayer is going to change your whole eternity. And it's just the beginning. You're going to say a prayer and you're going to repeat after me. Praise God. Anybody else? Last few moments. Okay. All right. Yes, Pastor. I don't have a mic here, but I talk loud enough. About 12 or 15 years ago on an Easter Sunday, we were having service at, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. We were having Easter service at the high school in Brick. And preached a message, gave this invitation at the end, just like our brother here just did. And people came up. There was probably 600 people there that day. There was a good number of people that came up. But I just kept feeling on the inside, and I feel like I'm sensing you're feeling the same thing. Don't stop yet. Don't pray yet. There's somebody else that needs to come. And this went on for a long time, and it's, it almost can feel uncomfortable sometimes, like you're begging. But I knew in my spirit, don't, don't stop yet. There's somebody else that needs to come. And finally then I said, okay, this is it. This is the last call. This is the last opportunity. And then we're going to pray. And a young man, probably in his early 40s, ran from the very back row of the auditorium of Brick High School and ran to the front, gave his life to Jesus. Well, about a week later, in fact, it was the following weekend, he had a stroke. He was in the hospital. They... They thought he was going to make it. And in fact, he was supposed to be getting married. And they actually performed the marriage ceremony when he was half awake. But he died. And I thought to myself, my God, if I would have been in a hurry that Sunday before and just said, well, hey, look, you don't want to come, don't come. That person would have been lost for all of eternity. Because when you're in your early 40s, you don't expect that you're going to have a stroke and you're going to drop dead or anything's going to happen to you. I know in my gut there's some of you that are holding back out of pride. You don't want people to think you're some degenerate. Look, there's good people that went to hell. There are good people that are slipping into hell right now as we're speaking. They were good morally, but they wouldn't put their pride aside to say, I am a sinner just like everyone else on this earth. I plead with you. If you know that's you and your heart's beating out of your chest right now, don't worry about what anybody else is thinking in this room. Last time, get out of your seat and come up here. It is very significant. You must take an action step to show God, I believe in you. I believe in Jesus. If that's you, please get out of your seat and come up here right now. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Could you please move up, everyone? You don't know what life has in store for you. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Please. Please. It's one thing for a person not to hear. It's another, but you have an opportunity. You did not come here today by coincidence. You're here. God knew you were coming here today. 
God knows the condition of your heart. I'm sorry? This is it. Last time. See, now, what you're doing, see, we're making declarations of faith, whether we realize it or not. If you know you're supposed to come here and you're not, you now, because the devil knows who you are, just like God knows who you are. You're telling the devil, I'm going to be with you. I don't trust this God. But when you make a step, you tell not only God, but the devil and all the angels who you believe in. Amen? There you go, bro. Praise God. Oh, I'm, a, I'm on. You're on. I'm on. <laughs> all right, we're going to say these words. <clears throat> we can all say this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Get choked up overseeing all you people. Such a beautiful sight here. Anyway, we're going to say a prayer, and this is going to come from your heart. So we can all say this out loud. Are you ready? Lift up your hands, too, and just as an act of surrender to God, you're saying, you gave your life to me. I'm surrendering my life to you. All right. Say, Dear God in heaven, I know that I've sinned. I cannot save myself. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. That he was crucified, died and was buried, but rose again and lives forevermore. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry. Come into my heart. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. You are the Son of God. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking me to heaven. Fill me with your Spirit. I will serve you all the days of my life. And I now confess I'm a born-again Christian. Going to heaven. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Quickly, just real quickly, two things it's important to do. Number one, get in the habit of reading the Bible every day. This is not a religious exercise. The Bible is actually a manual for life. It teaches us how to live life, and there's promises in the Word. But if you don't read it, you won't obtain those promises. You won't obtain the blessings God has for you. Also, there's a devil that hates your guts and wants to destroy you. And he's looking for a way in. And the only way you can run him off is how Jesus did. When the devil came, Jesus said, it is written. And he quoted the word for the devil to leave. But you have to have the word in your heart to know what to quote. So it's so important to read it. And you get to know how wonderful this Jesus is. As you read it, you fall in love with him more and more. You see how wonderful of God he is and the plan he has for your life. You'll find, discover it through reading. And then number two, it's so important to get plugged into a good church. It makes all the difference where you go to church. A lot of churches are, the, they don't teach the full counsel of God. They teach things that are false and so forth. So you need to be equipped and trained upright so you can resist the devil. You can learn about the promises. You can walk victorious. And if you don't have a good church, you are in one right here. And I mean that with all my heart. I've been to a lot of churches. There's very few that teach like Pastor Joe. 
You'll tr be trained up here. This is like a Navy SEAL church, okay? <laughs> You're going to learn how to fight and learn how to stand against the enemy. And so I encourage you to get plugged in here. Also, baptism is coming up next weekend. And it, uh, that's another thing that's really important to do. If you've never been water baptized, dunked. Now, I'm not talking about sprinkled when you're an infant. I'm talking about being dunked under the water. It's a spiritual thing that happens. And, and it's really, you might have a spiritual experience when you do this. And it's really important to get baptized. It'll make a big difference. And it's another level of commitment to your walk. So next weekend, you have to sign up for that uh, for next weekend. And also, we have a Bible and some information for you in the back and at the table where the balloons are, and I'm going back there right now, and I want to meet each one of you. I'd like to just shake your hand and meet you, okay, and just give you a Bible and, and a book and some information. So would you all follow me back to the back, you people. Everybody, you can sit down for a moment, uh, but all of you follow me back. Just only take a few minutes, all right? All right, thank you so much. Thank you for all for listening. Amen. And again, for those of you who uh, said the prayer, you'll see Pastor Beth and um, on back there. You can head back there and, and where Bill is going, and they're going to bring you to a table because they have a Bible for you. This is the beginning of your journey. Amen. We're rejoicing with you. It says heaven's rejoicing as well. Such a powerful message. Amen. And, you know, when we have a guest speaker here, we like to make sure we give you the opportunity to sow into their ministry. Now, um, Bill and his wife, you know, they go all over, all around the country bringing this message. And, you know, physically, we can't obviously go with him everywhere that he is going. But when you sow into his ministry in a way, you are going as well. So this is good ground to sow into. And if you would like to give, you can grab an offering envelope in the seat back in front of you and just write um, GS on it so we know it's for the guest speaker. Um, you can give online as well. In the drop-down tab, there'll be a place where he says guest speaker, just click that tab there. Amen. So let's go ahead and, and let's pray. You know, this is a message we see, we've, I mean, we've just seen this morning that lives have been changed. Amen. So let's go ahead and let's pray for this offering. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for Bill and Annette being able to come here this weekend, Lord, and for him being able to, to share this testimony, this message with us, Father. And I pray it would also create an urgency in us, Lord, to go and bring the good news to those people that are around us, Father. And we pray for this offering, Lord, that you would bless it. We pray that there would be doors open, continue doors open, Father, for them to bring this message. We just thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ushers, you can go ahead and receive that offering and just a few announcements as the ushers are receiving the offering like bill mentioned um there is water baptisms taking place next weekend some of you in here actually might be signed up for the saturday night that's what we were promoting on saturday night baptisms and they actually filled up that saturday night so we actually added two more baptism services for that sunday july 30th at 9 and 11 a.m here at the brick campus so maybe you've prayed that prayer of salvation before but you have never gotten water baptized well that is your next step. We see that modeled in the Word of God. People would give their life to Jesus, and then they would get baptized. And what water baptism is, is it is identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
when we get saved, there's an inward change. And baptism is that outward expression of that inward change, publicly identifying, saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. So if you've never gotten water baptized, you can still sign up for one of the Sunday services. You could do that out at um, the info desk, newbeginningsnj.org slash water baptism, or just go to the website there and you could sign up there. Amen. Um, we still do have an 11 a.m. service, so if you know somebody that needs to hear this message, send them a text quick. Tell them to come out. Amen. Um, we still have one more service for this weekend. We've had this next service will be the fifth service throughout this weekend for our all-campus weekend. So send somebody a text. Let them know about it. Let them know to come. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you need prayer for anything, please come up. Our prayer team would love to stand in faith with you for what you are believing for. And um, I believe Bill does have a product table with some of his books out in the lobby on your right-hand side, so you could check that out as well. So if you don't need prayer for anything, listen, God bless you. We love you all. Thank you for being here this weekend, and we'll see you next week.